Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manuel Ref and I'm joined today just by Tim. Tim, it's just going to be the two of us going a bit lonely. Um, no Andrew Flint. He's traveling, apparently some family stuff he has to do back in England. But I think, um, you know, we got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, World Cup qualification. You just mentioned how much you enjoyed. What is it called? The week of football? Yeah, they changed the, first of all, uh, good, good time of the day for the listeners of the podcast this morning here in Vancouver. And yeah, like we have a lot of football to cover and I really like, I think it brings a little bit more attention that they spread out the games over the week instead of having like they used to have it on Wednesday and, um, Saturday for qualifications for the World Cup. So it just gives a l so much football to watch because when they play like half of the games in one day, it's impossible to watch a few games. But every day you can watch at least highlights or maybe a game or two um, for the whole week, which is exciting. So I'm excited for today and we have, like I said, a lot to cover. Yeah, we do have a lot to cover. So basically this entire madness, I mean, this is not just uh, qualifiers in Europe. Um, this is qualifiers all around the world. And it started... Thursday, so we had games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, uh, Monday, Tuesday. Today's Wednesday, right? Yes, today's Wednesday. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're halfway through the week and it feels like it's been already going on forever. It's been a lot of football. We, I mean, uh, we have this chat going on all the time, don't we, Tim, on our <laughs> football ground network. And it feels like there was a World Cup qualifier all the time, pretty much. Exactly, exactly. I was away for the weekend in Tafino. It's a beautiful place in, 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 in like, in, in, like, in British Columbia. And I got back and got my reception and I had like 450 something messages to, to, to read because, <laughs> because the world qualifiers took over our group chat. Yeah, there's always a lot going on. And we had a lot of the games, uh, previewed. Uh, on Football Grad, on Fußballstadt, uh, so on Football Sidage. The, the last game, of course, was the, and we're gonna cover that over at Golazzo a little bit more. So for the CONCACAF chat, you'll have to, we'll have to switch over to that one. But the last game was, of course, last night, Mexico against, uh, Costa Rica, and that wrapped it up for us. But we have a list of teams, um, for the 2018 World Cup that have qualified. Of course, the Rose host Russia, uh, your home country, Tim, uh, Brazil, Iran, Japan, Mexico, Belgium, South Korea, and Saudi Arabia. Um, saw a poll this morning, you know, someone's actually jumped the gun and said, which one of those countries are you looking the most forward to see? I mean, it's a very small list out of the 32 countries, but which one is the one that you're looking forward to see the most out of those countries? Well, I'm very biased. So obviously, uh, Russia will be on the list and uh, hosting a World Cup, one of uh, the best opportunities for our country to qualify actually for the World Cup. So this is a great success. We're already there. And in my opinion, for Russia to qualify for the World Cup, it is a success already. And everything what we do is above expectations. So obviously, um, Russia is the team I, I, I would, I'm interested to watch. And also, like, you know, people have this romantic thing about the first World Cup they watch. I talked to and heard a lot of theories about that, that the first World Cup you watch is your favorite one. My first World Cup was 1994, then Brazil won. So I have a little bit of a soft spot in like supporting Brazil because I watched all the games in 1994 and since then I've been supporting Brazil and following them a little bit so it's again it's it's not something I obviously don't have any connection to the country but just because that was my first country I first World Cup first country I fell in love with so Brazil would be another country what was your first World Cup also 1994 I do remember 1990 a little bit same yeah but it wasn't the one I watched like actually watched yeah. I didn't watch every game of 1990. You know, I remember seeing the final. And of course, 1990 was a very big year for Germany because it was also the, you know, the period of reunification. Mm -hmm, so, you know, yeah. of course, the wall came down in 1989 and then uh, 1989, 1990, 1991 was the years of unification. So the World Cup came right in that period. Um, of course, 1990, um, we were still technically playing as West Germany. A lot of people forget that because the country wasn't official, officially reunified at that moment. So it was a West German team that actually won the World Cup in 1990. But it was still, like, it was, you know, it fell right in that moment, um, that very historical moment on time for Germany. So I remember that. I remember the fireworks. I remember the celebrations. And I remember seeing the final. Andy Bremer, of course, scoring yeah, the goal. But 
Bremer the penalty, right? Or yeah, exactly. It's or something, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't like Brazil uh, when we won, of course, last year time around. Um, that was a celebration of football in a lot of ways because the German national team celebrated football. They they were playing the best football of the tournament, right? Yeah. So it was very different. It was um, a, a more vintage German performance, I would say, in, in 1990. Efficient, efficient. It was very efficient. And then I remember 1994, uh, I remember we sent a dream team there because it was, of course, the first time we sent a unified team to a World Cup. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dream team was anything but dreams. They completely mucked it up. <laughs> Stefan Effenberg's middle finger, of course, during the oh, group yeah. stage. Um, the... The fight with the, the wax, the wives and girlfriends, whether or not they would be allowed into the hotel rooms. Um, <laughs> wow. Betty folks flipping out. Yeah, it was, it was a mess. Uh, Andy Köpke and Bodo Ilkner fighting, literally fighting over who's the number one in Germany's goal. Wow. I think it was the best team we've ever sent to a World Cup, but they also royally screwed it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> but then you recovered in two years pretty well. Yeah, of course, 1996, uh, the European Championships. But that was a golden generation, you know, Tim. Yeah. Um, this, that people keep forgetting and the, the country really benefited from basically having two national teams to choose from. Very similar to now. <laughs> to uh, right now, right now, you have five. <laughs> very similar to now. But that gets us actually to the list of teams that are pretty much there because Germany is pretty much there, aren't they? When you look at their World Cup qualification group, they, Need one point out of the last two games, um, playing Northern Ireland and Azerbaijan. I mean, that's pretty much secured. Uh, they have a goal differential, Tim, of 35 to 2. <laughs> they have eight out of eight games won. Um, a lackluster performance against the Czech Republic. Uh, I thought it was maybe one of the, the probably the poorest game of the uh, World Cup qualification thus far for Germany. But they still won it. You know, it, it's funny. I was chatting to one of my uh, Bundesliga.com colleagues during the game on Twitter. And uh, we having had a chat. And he's like, this is like poor. This is such a lackluster performance. And and the Czech Republic scored. I said like, oh, watch it, James. There's a late, late 2-1 uh, goal coming up for Germany here. And then that's exactly what they did. You know, so it was a poor performance, but they still got the result and, uh, they, they followed up a very poor performance with a stellar performance against Norway. And I assume you have seen that game, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen the highlights. I didn't see the full game, but again, like it's funny how like you're so spoiled, Mano. Like the, your whole nation is spoiled. You win two one away at Czech Republic, which is fighting for their lives and you call it a poor performance in Russia. We would have been celebrating like a national holiday. <laughs> well this is what i said too and this is, was one of my points that i made during this game is that look this this international break is not a great it's not great for timing we you know we're two we're two matches into the bundesliga a lot of players are focused on playing bundesliga football right now or you know with if they play in spain or in france um or in england they the season has just kicked off so that first that first match in particular is awkward, right? Because you have one or two training sessions together and then you have to play. And um, some teams manage that better than others. Um, it's hard to throw together a team and say, like, you have to perform now. And I think uh, Germany in the past has always shown that, that that this is a game that they always struggle with, but always get a result in the end. And, I mean, we had countless other examples during this World Cup cycle where teams put in one stellar performance and one not so great. But the difference was, and I mean, we'll talk about that maybe when we move to France, is that some countries, you know, they they have one great performance on that first uh, international break in the season, and then they followed it up with a poor one. Or But the, instead of getting the full six points, only get four. I mean, look at France. They absolutely demolished the Netherlands. Yeah. Absolutely demolished. I watched this game. It was, it was a class act. It's like France for me. Um, I thought, you know, it was, they showed that they are a World Cup contender and I have them together with Germany and Spain as the three favorites for the tournament next summer. But, um, they also then showed maybe that they don't have, um, the consistency to turn a poor game 
into three points when they drew 0-0 at home to Luxembourg. Um, your thoughts, Tim? 0-0 at home to Luxembourg. I mean, Luxembourg is, there's stuff happening there. You know, it's a country the size of Iceland. So, you know, they have good youth development, etc. But it's still, it's, it's a poor result. It is. It is. Uh, that game, of, funny enough, uh, just be because we had football grad, uh, I can say that that reminds me of recent Spartak game when we played away in Khabarovsk and made something 30-plus shots and 12 of them on target, and their goalie had a complete um, game of his life. He like it was the best game. Like The guy was just un unbeatable. And Spartak had so many chances, and he was just saving. Exactly the same, I think, if you take a look at the, stat the statistics and just the kind of the, the size of, like, the, the strength of the teams which played uh, Luxembourg versus, versus France. It was exactly the same. 30-plus shots, I think. The goalie had the game of his life, but... Um, But yeah, it's still, even if you like, I, I see what you're saying, like with that consistency, a stellar performance against Netherlands, and there's pretty much a failure, we can call it a failure against Luxembourg. But remember the, the, the Euro, where they, they didn't really have those fantastic games, especially like in the quarterfinal, and then, uh, and then like the final, obviously. So they have this amazing team, and going into the playoffs, they were definitely one, were one of the contenders just mainly because of their strength and because they were playing at home. It's still, they didn't manage to close the job. I don't know where this is coming from. Is it the lack of experience of innovative, very big games? I don't think so, because all their players play in a top level of Champions League, people like Griezmann and uh, you know, a few other people, obviously. Or... Uh, Is it, is it the coaching side of things where Deshamit cannot still, you know, maybe psychologically or in any other way to, um, you know, to, 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 to get them to that extra, extra top level to make, to make them plan 100 to 10%? We don't know. Maybe just luck because obviously, you know, the Portugal were, were, were a little bit lucky when they got that, that final. Mm -hmm. So I think this, this story is continuous of the inconsistency of the performance. And it's hard to say without being inside of the team what is the reason for that, in my opinion. Well, I remember the the European Championships, of course, and uh, I think France still wonders how they got past Germany in that semi-final where yeah. they were completely outplayed, right? And they still got through. And then it was it was really funny because in the final it was the ex the, the complete reverse. Um, the They outplayed Portugal and then lost that game exactly the same way that Germany lost the game to them. <laughs> and and exactly. uh, it's, you know, it's efficiency and it's maybe, I think, and that, that actually also shows something else. France, I always find that current generation has a lot of flash and there's a lot of talent on that squad, but there's always a bit of complacency with them. You know, the, the little bit of flash, maybe do, do not take every opponent very serious. And I mean, You look at the stats of this game against Luxembourg, they had 76% ball possession, total shots 34-3, shots on target 9-1, shots off target 11-1, block shots 14-1, shots inside the box, here it is, 25-3. But, but, big chances created, it was 2-1, and it hit woodwork 2-1 as well. Yeah. You know, and that last, that last stat shows you, I mean, France were one centimeter away from losing this game when Rodriguez broke through on that left side and hit the post for Luxembourg towards the end of the game. Yeah. You know, that would have made an embarrassing result even worse. So I think, you know, France for me, they are the, the team to beat, but I wonder if they have, um, I don't think they're going to be as lucky as they were at Euro 2016 that they would hit a German side that, you know, just doesn't have a good day. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen to them again because, you know, Germany at uh, the Confed Cup showed that they, they have something now that uh, they didn't have in the past. And this is a striker. You know, Timo Werner is a full-on natural striker. And, in, mm -hmm. you know, the, the problem in the past, of course, was when Mario Gomez didn't play which was the case in the semifinal against France. They didn't have that. They didn't have anyone to back him up um, because of Miroslav Klose's retirement. Now they have Timo Werner and Timo Werner was amazing against Norway. He scored two goals. You know, he has, he has uh, a fantastic player up front. He, he won the golden boot at the Confederations Cup. He's only 21, 
right? And um, I find it really fascinating that people talk so much about Mbappe and Dembele, but Timo Werner, when you look at his numbers in the Bundesliga, especially he had better numbers than Dembele in the Bundesliga last season. You know, he scored over 20 goals for a promoted side yeah. at the age of 20. And I think that's that's going to be a big difference maker for them next uh, next year in Russia. Mano, a question which I was, I uh, like, we spoke about it during the Confederations Cup, and I just wanted your opinion. And um, how do you see Joachim Löw building the squad? Because he has this group of experienced players who already have the World Cup experience. For example, I would say Mario Götze, uh, Hidira, players who already played the World Cup, and actually Mario Götze won the World Cup for the country. Versus those up and coming generation, which which was amazing um, during Confederations Cup. I'm talking like players like. Werner, Draxler, you know, the younger generation. How do you see uh, Joachim Lov making his decisions and making his choices in that sense? That's the big debate in Germany right now. How do you turn 55 players into 23, essentially? And that's going to be tough. And, you know, it's a problem that you like to have, I think. Yeah, but uh, I think the game against the Czech Republic showed a little bit that it isn't easy because he basically um, tried to mix together the uh, World Cup winning side or the players left from the World Cup winning side together with the team from the Comfort Cup and the players that won U twenty one European Championships, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it seemed a little top heavy at times, and the, the formation didn't seem quite right. So I think that what he has to do, he has to build a little bit of chemistry. And that takes time. You know, that's why that game against the Czech Republic was so difficult because he basically mixed together these three teams and the chemistry wasn't there. And after, you know, a few extra training sessions, it was. So that's why you get that discrepancy between the 2-1 result against the Czechs and the 6-0 result against Norway. And I think the two countries are almost on the same level. So, you know, that's really where you see the change. But it's not going to be easy and there's going to be some broken hearts next summer because... Some of the players you mentioned might not make that squad, uh, because there's so much depth. It's basically, you know, for maybe for listeners from North America, it's basically like Canada trying to put together a hockey team that goes to the Olympics. Yeah. That team is so deep. And I think that's really, um, you know, it is a challenge that you want to have, but it's still a challenge because you need to put the right characters into a room. You need to put together a squad that can, be together for four weeks plus the four weeks of preparation. You know, we're talking two months of living together and it's not like a club side where you go home to, you basically live together, you yeah. know, and that's, um, that's where things can go wrong. You know, and this is why I'm, when people ask me, who do you think are you going to win a world cup? And I say, well, Germany is, Germany is the one who has to, Germany is the one that has to lose the most, right? Because they decide to go in with the deepest squad, with the best squad. They're the world cup winners. Um, but at the same time, you know, all you need, and I, this is, this is when I look at Euro 2016, one bad day in the office and it's over. So, you know, that's why a World Cup is never a given. And, um, you know, the France basically showed that to a certain extent. I, for, for me personally, I think France is right behind Germany. Those are the two teams that are going to fight for the World Cup next year. And, um, you know, France in some ways has a similar problem. They will have to put together a squad that can challenge Germans and they have not quite have the same depth, in my opinion, and maybe not, not quite that same, uh, mentality to, to see out games. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting with that. Um, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah. And like, you know, just following up on what you said is that I think because of that two months of being together and like some exactly what you said for the first game against Czech, uh, Czech Republic, the, you know, the, the game which wasn't very, um, you know, beautiful and uh, very successful for Germany. I think the importance of having those experienced World Cup winners in the squad will help. Um, just from the, you know, from psychological, from the dressing room uh, side of things, because they already won the World Cup, they have experience, and they will be, they will help those younger uh, players to blend in, and they'll help them to adapt. So I think, in my opinion, there will be some some people in the squad that might be get in there not because of their footballing abilities, but more of their experience and uh, they being like the the the, uh, the the people of the um, dressing room. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, that's the chemistry in Luf has always done that, right? Where he brought in a... Podolski. Yeah, exactly. 
you need a Podolski in your squad. You need someone who, you know, keep the chemistry together. Um, uh, can I ask you about one more player? Yeah, Just go the- for it. Exactly. Since we're talking German, you we have John, um, um, who is there in our football group network, who supports uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and like I was, he talked about Lars Tindel a lot, mm-hmm. and I walked, watched him on Confederations Cup uh, with he, he, when he started playing pretty much for for Germany. I watched uh, um, highlights of this game. He's becoming this one of the players. He's not young; he's 29 years old, but he's becoming one of this player who really. Like enters the squad. How do you see his development given his age and his chances of being in the final squad? Because uh, this is the player I'm really impressed over the past couple of years. Yeah, I think he will be on that squad. Unless he gets hurt, of course, right? That's always the X factor. But I think he will be because he does... um, He is what we call in German a schnitt player, right? Someone who is in between the lines and uh, can, can... put together an attacking player like an all-in-all striker with an attacking midfield. So he 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 is sort of that puzzle piece in between uh, the two lines. And um, as such, he's he's very important. And I mean, um, his play together with Timo Werner at the Comfort Cup was exemplary for that, right? I mean, during the final against Chile, he he, he was the goal scorer, but he made that play happen too. Yeah. So, and I think that is someone uh, as a personality who Joachim Löw likes. And I think Joachim Löw also appreciates the fact that he's a bit of a late bloomer. So he had to go a bit through adversity to get there. And that's usually someone who is very much appreciated in the Germany, in the Germany squad. So I think he'll be there uh, for sure. And it's, it's an interesting play to mention because, you know, He's very much underrated and he's been underrated his entire career. But then when you look at his pure numbers, it's, they're fantastic. So it's, I think he's going to be there and he's going to, you know, compete with Thomas Müller for that, for that, um, well, do we call it false nine? Uh, or Raumdeuter is Thomas Müller. Thomas Müller is the only player in the world who named the position. Then they asked him, what's your position? And he couldn't really quite put a position to it. And he said, I'm sort of like a Raumdeuter. And that's actually what the position is now called. So he's the only player in the world, I guess, that has a position named after himself. And uh, what's around Deuter means? It's someone who reads space. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I think that's, that's quite fitting for him, but it's also very fitting for Lars Stendel. You know, he's, uh-huh. the, he's the same kind of player because he's not a real striker, but he's not an attacking midfielder either. You know, he's kind of in between the lines. He's, He's the one who makes plays happen. He makes, you know, he, he can read the room. He can read time and space. And, um, you, sometimes you don't see him on the pitch and then all of a sudden he's there. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a good player to have. And there's not many like that out there in Germany have two, which, <laughs> it's, which is, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting, but I, I, I personally like Lars Stendel. I think he, he should be at this tournament. But uh Tim, we got unfortunately we got some other teams to cover too. And uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> one team that I always enjoy talking about, England. Uh <laughs> <laughs> assured at least second place in the group. I mean, uh they're five points ahead of Slovakia. Even they couldn't muck that up, right? <laughs> no, they should be should be able to do it. And like, you know, they're always very successful in the qualifying. I think they always like win ten out of ten or very close to. Um, but then something always happens at the, at the at the big tournament. That's just the curse of England. You mean they actually play someone who's actually good? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So actually, who who is better than Lithuania, Malta, uh, and uh, Slovenia? Yeah, it's just I mean, I look at England now. They're playing Slovenia and then Lithuania. Uh, I can't really see them mark that up. So they'll they'll be they'll be in Russia, and uh, I mean that's good. They always bring a lot of traveling fans. Uh, quickly, what do you think is their chance at the, at the tournament next summer? No chance. Yeah. Like, you know, qualify, like if we're talking about winning the World Cup, there's absolutely no chance that they will, the World Cup and, uh, no disrespect to English league or English national team, but they're just like the same story which happens year and year every tournament. And, um, I don't see why. Would they, like, I don't see really, like, if you, if we just compare the personnel of the squad, if we compare it to, like, the teams which we already, um, talked a little bit, France and Germany and, uh, obviously Spain, 
like I don't see I don't see like the, those those like e- English being on the same on the same level unless they pull up a, something like a legendary heroical national success something that Leicester did but I think their egos are way above to do that to be just like a a team which will far, work hard and fight they're still like trying to to really to 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 be the, the one of those top teams but the, even just looking at the squad I'm looking at the clubs which they have West Ham United Southampton Southampton Everton Leicester Watford West Bromwich Albion this is the players which represent um the team obviously if you compare that to to Spanish side which I just looked yesterday they're all except one player all their starting lineup at some point of their life played for Barcelona Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid. That just shows the level of clubs where those players came from and where the English players are coming from. Again, no disrespect to e- English national team, but this is just the way I see things. And uh, I don't think, I think it will be another tragedy which a lot, with a lot of uh, hopes, which will be crushed somewhere in, in the group or maybe in a uh, round of 16. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I see some players that are quite good, but I don't see that depth uh, that you need and you know I don't I there's so many question marks especially in goal yeah uh, Joe Hart um, is not a world-class keeper you know that's that's just the bottom line Jack Butland looks like a talented guy but he plays for Stoke you know when you look at the the likes of Germany and Spain and France they they're starting keepers I mean Germany's starting keepers play at Bayern and Barcelona <laughs> you know, and then the number three plays in the Champions League, the number four plays in Champions League, and the number five plays in the Champions League. Um, that's, that's for me personally just the difference. And, you know, when you look at Spain, it's, it's a very similar story. You know, the, the side is very, very deep. And that's, that's just the difference making. I mean, I mean, I'm looking at the Spanish side now and we need to talk about Spain next because Spain will go to this tournament. And, you know, they had a rough World Cup in 20, 2014 and not a great European championships either, but they can, I mean, they will be a force to reckon with. Absolutely. I still like people kind of with the strength of France and Germany, people speak less about um, Spanish team, but at the same time, I think um, they're capable of, I still have a bit of a question mark about the, their, their coach, the Lopetegui, who hasn't proved that but at the same time you know having that squad maybe maybe his role is not being a coach maybe his role is just being a person who will bring them together and just let them do what they what they can do as for example Barcelona did um you know like that's that was the role of a coach because they know you don't need to teach Messi how to play football kind of the same story here in my opinion so I think like I said uh, looking at their squad it is unbelievably strong squad and pl- players play at the highest highest top level and if you look if we, I'm doing exactly the same I'm looking right now at the squad of uh, Spain and you see the clubs which they represent it's all the top sides all the sides which th- those players play can win um the Champions League mm. and West Bromwich Albion or Stoke City can't because they just don't play this tournament I mean you look at Thiago uh, from Bayern München and he he might not make the starting eleven of that side. Who was one of the best, if not the best player in, in Bayern last season? Yeah, and I mean the same with Harvey Martinez, who also plays for Bayern. He's not even in the squad. I mean that's just, in my opinion, that says a lot. And uh, when, when you when you look at the side right now, yes, uh, maybe the one the one big question mark for me with Spain is uh, up front, um, Alvaro Morata. Is a very good striker and I, I like him a lot, but they don't. I mean, they called up David Villa for mm-hmm. for this game and he plays in Major League Soccer. This is no disrespect for Major League Soccer, um, but you know that's not um, Barcelona or Real Madrid. And yeah. if they, they the shows, it's a bit of a question mark for me when you know a team of Spain's caliber has to call up uh, David Villa um, as an extra striker. I mean, that would be the equivalent of Germany bringing back Bastian Schweinsteiger from Chicago Fire. <laughs> well, you know, I see maybe David's, David's, sorry, David's Villa role is that role of um, like maybe the dressing room, kind of like Podolski um, in, in Germany squad last, uh, last tournament. So, you know, he brings that experience, he brings that squad. And uh, also in the game against uh, Italy, 
Isco yeah. played false nine and he was unbelievable. So if he would keep, he will keep this form he's playing right now till the World Cup. Maybe, you know, maybe that will be the problem solved. Isco plays starts and then David Villa comes on if they need this additional experience. Well, I mean, this game against Italy was uh, probably the standout performance during this qualification. I, I mean, fr France, Netherlands as well. That was another game that I was like, wow, that, this is incredible. But uh, Netherlands is struggling quite a bit right now. Um, Italy, for me, is a side that sometimes World Cup qualification, not so great. But then it, when they come into a tournament, they always... Uh, one of those teams that could win it just because they're Italy. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, to be dismantled like this by Spain and Italy had no defense in this game. And if Italy's defense is dismantled, you know, you know, uh, either the side that they were playing is real quality or the country's in trouble. So, I mean, Spain, fantastic performance against Italy. But Italy looks like they could be in real trouble. They have this new young generation of players coming up, and there's a lot of young and talented players. But at the same time, they're still not at the same level as, for example, Spanish players, because they are like there's a lot of established players who, like I said, play top level Champions League football. Um, the Italian league and the Italian national team is slowly coming back with all those great players which they have. They have a good generation coming up, mm. uh, but at the same time, it's still not par not ready to be compared to like spain for example so but at the same time like you said um italy always performs maybe not the most beautiful uh, game but at the same time they have this tactical wonderful you know compact organization which sometimes allows them to 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 go pretty deep in the tournament even even when they nobody really expects that from them so i wouldn't say they're the main contenders but i i, I won't be surprised if italy makes the quarterfinal or semi-final with that generation if just them being italy well of course they have to get there first but exactly <laughs> um because they are going to likely feature in the uh i call them the 180 minutes of fear um, because <laughs> exactly. it's it is it is scary to play in the world cup playoffs um you know the second round as uefa nicely calls it <laughs> and uh you know currently when you look at the teams that are in that um nothing too scary except of course portugal and portugal could be one of those teams finishing second because switzerland has been perfect in their qualification won every single game thus far and uh, it will all boil down to the the game against uh switzerland and portugal of whether or not portugal will be in this but of course that would be scary right because uh could you imagine italy against portugal that uh you know one of those two countries might not make it and of course there's some other ones in there that could be stumbling blocks bosnia herzegovina in the past has been a pain for bigger countries iceland you know, we all remember what Iceland did to England and, um, you know, could be a potential stumbling block and Northern Ireland are in there who, in, who have improved quite significantly, not with, for the players that they have, but, um, really as a squad, you know, getting the results that they needed can be a very difficult place to go to as well, Northern Ireland. So, you know, they have to get there first, but, you know, I, I can't imagine Italy not qualifying. But I think they they seed those teams by uh, by the ranking, and Italy and Portugal should be in in one basket, yeah, and then the other. So so like probably they will play somebody like Montenegro, Boston. I'm, I'm sure UEFA will make sure that Italy will go. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm really sure they will they will be giving um, all the opportunities to make sure that they they don't muck it up. Um, and then we want to see them in in in, in Russia. Oh, absolutely. Um, definitely want to see them. But, you know, they are one of those teams that, um, especially for Germany, I mean, we, it took us forever to beat them. And then it was probably the worst ever penalty shootout I've seen in my life, in my entire life. <laughs> um, for, for Germany finally to get past Italy. Uh, so I could do without Italy at a tournament. It would make my <laughs> make life easier. Uh, no, that's not fair. I, I Bella Italia, I love you guys. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it's a tournament without Italy. I couldn't imagine it. Even if it's, you know, means a glorious defeat in uh, the semi final to those blue shirts. 
<laughs> I I just I don't think I could do without Italy. There's a few. There's a whole bunch of other countries. If they don't go, eh, whatever. Uh, not the end of the world. Uh, England, for example. But Italy, it would be a shame. Um, but you know, one country that might not make it again is the Netherlands. Oh, yeah. and that's yeah. a huge sigh because orange that orange shirt. So ugly and yet so beautiful. Um, it be, it's a real possibility, you know, very likely that they're not going to be at this World Cup. Yeah, like, like just following up again on what you said is like, I want to see all those classic, first of all, all the World Cup winners in, in, in the actual tournament, every, every World Cup and all those like legendary sides, like, for example, Netherlands, like, like, you know, the sides which been, has been um contenders for the world cup throughout the history of the world cup you need those like i per- like maybe like i personally need those those to those teams to be because that makes uh world cup fun for me so for example the same goes to about uruguay and countries like that but netherlands i don't know what's going on it's hard to say they already tried how many coaches uh, experience young coaches nothing works i look i look at their squad they don't have a bad squad. Of course, it's not like the golden generation that Overmars and like, you know, Zaydors when they had it, but it's still a pretty good squad. You know, the players play in good leagues. It's, 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 it's very strange what's going on. I don't think they're like way below Sweden, but in, in points, they, they are. And, um, it's, it's really like they were really outplayed, uh, by, uh, by France, like completely destroyed. And maybe the four or four nothing is a little bit too much, but at the same time, Still, like that, that's just the result. Um, I, I'm lost. I thought about it yesterday when I watched the highlights of their games. I looked at their squad. They have a good squad. They have good players. They have experienced players. They have uh, pretty good um, young players. For example, Quincy Promise from legendary Spartak Moscow. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you have good players. Um, I, I, Manu, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what's going on with them. And I'm not sure that um, they're afraid of as well. Yeah, you know what I, what I think it is? It's for a long time they were dependent on that. I call it the generation Robin uh-huh. and uh, you know, the guys that are now 33 and that's Wesley Snyder, Robin from Percy and Aaron Robin. And um, Robin is the only one of those three who still represents world-class today. Right. So they're yeah. basically dependent on one guy who's 33 now, and he's still in top shape. I personally think Robin is still one of the best, maybe if not the best player in the Bundesliga and maybe the most exciting player to watch when you're a Bayern Munich fan. And he has that speed and that, you know, the breathtaking speed and the technical ability to decide a game by himself. But the problem for me is that group that follows him, so that would be the age group 25 to 30, there isn't anyone on his level there. Even Grincy Promise. That's true, yeah. Is not oh. on that level. And, no. and when you, when you look at it from that perspective, you get one guy with 33. Then you have a bunch of kids from the age of 25 to 30 who are good players, but none of them are world class, right? Not a single one. And then you have a bunch of players in there who could be world class one day because they're 18, 19, 21, 22, 23. But you can't, you know, the, the, the squad level, the balance isn't there. And I think that's just what happens if you, a country like the Netherlands, you know, population 17 million. Um, they were very fortunate that they always had golden generations for a long times, basically having the country perform above the expectation of its, of the size of population. And every once in a while that happens. They had a spell in the eighties where they missed three tournaments, you know, and I think that's just, that's just what happens if you're a country the size of the Netherlands. And it's, it's something that they're going through right now. And I think in the long term, they will be fine because I mean, I lived in the Netherlands. I played football in the Netherlands myself. Their infrastructure, their football infrastructure is second to none. And I think, you know, three, four years from now, there will be another generation that will dazzle us and be fantastic. But right now, that's just not there. And, um, you know, the only reason they would make the World Cup is because of Aryan Robben. Well, the only reason they actually main, went all the way to the third place in Brazil was because of Aryan Robben. He carried that team pretty much on his own. And yeah. that's a lot of expectation for one guy, right? And I think that is really the, the big problem for them. I mean, I, I read today that Vincent Janssen, the, the striker, really talented striker, 23-year-old, but he sits on the bench at Tottenham. 
Yeah, he's he's a joke at Tottenham, like everyone. Yeah, he wasn't even he wasn't even selected for the Champions League squad. So I mean, this is this is this is a huge problem. Memphis Depay, fantastic talent, but he didn't he didn't get the playing time in Manchester United, and that that's maybe also something that they need to look at when they look at player development. Um, a lot of their young guys play at Ajax and PSV for one or two seasons, and then they go abroad to to England, where they sit on the bench because the English English coaches don't care about developing young players. You know, they don't have the 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 patience for it. If a player doesn't perform right away, they just buy the next guy. So I think that is something that they need to look at and say, like, well, we need to maybe make sure that our best players stay home for a little longer and then go abroad, so that they have. The, that development so that this generation of 25 year olds actually plays so i think that is a that is a big problem when i look at the netherlands right now yeah i agree with you just looking yeah there's like there's a missed generation the generation between the current youngsters and uh, robins and uh, snyders um and um also yeah like i agree with you and i heard that that that's that's a concern for them that their best players leave the uh, their league too young and they don't play uh, they don't develop enough and they go to play to the league which is a little bit above their class as of as of their age um not talent just the age the in in, in the way they develop and um <clears throat> yeah like i don't think in this circumstances we can see this ajax team which won the champions league in 95 like it, it just like the football completely changed that side was full of top class players which went on and became the superstars but they stayed at Ajax and played for a couple of seasons and then you know and that helped um, Ajax to win the, the Champions League but uh, right now yeah as we see like all their youngsters already play in, in in Europe and they like I said they sit on the bench in England and doesn't really make, make them progress as a player yeah I, I agree and I think Ajax this season said that they they don't want to be a development club anymore and uh, want to hang on to talent a little longer. So I, hopefully they can be stand fast at this because Dutch football needs it. We, I personally, um, I am German, but I'm a big fan of Dutch football. I lived in the country. It's, I, I love the Netherlands and I, I don't think, you know, as much as I make fun of the orange at the World Cups, I don't think I can do without it um, either. <laughs> I, I want to see those crazy crazy outfits that they bring to the tournaments the or the, the colorful orange and i just love beating them so much too so <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's always a always a good one too so yeah uh Oranje, figure it out get get back on your feet and uh hopefully you still pull off a miracle and we'll see you at 2018 in russia and if not we'll see you uh you know 2020 at the european championships but you know another country or actually two countries and we have to be a little bit worried here tim um, is from South America. And this is really the last point that I want to make before we move to Ukraine, our big topic. Argentina and Chile. There's a big chance that one of those two teams will not be in Russia next summer. Exactly. And this is exactly what I was talking about because I just cannot imagine the World Cup without like those big, big nations, especially given the performance that Chile provided at the Confederations Cup. They were great. They were so exciting to watch. An interesting um, team. The Russian, um, like Russians, fell in love with their fans. The fans came out. Uh, them and Mexicans represent the, the the largest amount, and they were so much fun. So everyone loves Chile. Everyone's uh, like you know had had them as a second favorite team after after Russia. So same goes for Argentina. Of course, one of those teams would probably, like, maybe qualifies to uh, uh, a massive game against uh, somebody from Oceania they would play, and it will be easy enough to win. But at the same time, you know, like, I cannot see, like, I will be very disappointed if one of those big teams won't, will miss out on the tournament. We need to have those teams, same as Netherlands. Yeah, I, I you know, Argentina is maybe the one where I can see they, they, they will pull it off somehow, some poly. But with Chile, I mean, how often did I see Chile at the, I saw every single game of theirs at the Comfort Cup. Um, don't ask how I managed that. I guess luck of draw, but <laughs> for me, and this was something that we debated very lively on our chat is that I find that Chile are a very, very good side. But, um, because of this is age, you know, we're talking once again age. This is a team that's getting old and there is not much coming. And this golden generation that they had that won, in a sense, two tournaments in a row and came second and third, right? Um, fantastic side, but my big worry with them is, and this is, again, I saw them five times in a row at the Confed Cup. They came storming out of the gate 
And for, for the first 15, 20 minutes, they were very, very dominant. Um, almost tried to steamroll their opponents, right? And then they, their performance level would drop significantly. Against some of the lower teams, that didn't matter because they would just then uh, sit deep and uh, control the ball and break, try to hit them breaking forward. But uh, the, the, the final against Germany was very telling for me because for the first 15 minutes, Chile absolutely dominated the Germans. And then the Germans got their goal. And it was kind of like poking an air balloon. It's just like, you know, they were, they were gone. They, they, they had a few more chances, but they were, the moment Germany was able to sit back and control that game with the 1-0 lead, they, it was like they didn't really have the, the, the power to A, break through. And after the 60th minute, there was nothing left. Like after this, after 60 minutes, we're gone. I knew Germany would win this game because there was nothing left in that tank. And I think that is age. And maybe, you know, that's something, maybe Chile have just gone past that expiration date. I know that a lot of them want to win the World Cup uh, in 2018, but I doubt that they will even be there. So, you know, that's that's a very big question mark for me. And I think there's a high chance that there will be a World Cup before Chile next summer. Yeah, I agree with you. And like you said, we talked about it on previous uh, podcasts. And um, I'm, I'm again looking at their squad, and you're absolutely right. In their in their midfield, you have only two players who are younger than 30 years, and one of those players played only four games. So their majority of their squad is 30 plus, and that obviously, you know, we never say like that's 30 plus. It's like retirement age in 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 football. But given the intensity which Chile plays, like you say, they play such an intense football. Yes, they like they just go crazy right out of the gates in the first 15 minutes, but still they press hard even when they sit back. They play as a pretty intense um, football and um, with age. And, um, that, that, that get harder and harder, like you said, like down the, down the, like in the end of the games, they, they deflate. Um, I still like, you know, obviously hope they will make it to, to the World Cup, but, um, I see, I see what you're saying. Like, obviously, I, I wasn't at the Confederations Cup, so I didn't have a chance to watch all, uh, of the games live, but, um, that, that, that's a valid point, and I think that's a concern for them. And, uh, also given that their main star, Alexis Sanchez, is not happy at Arsenal, mm-hmm. and he hasn't been Playing or training actively with the side, so again that 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 that, that doesn't help him that much. I don't think he will be able to get in the top 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 form uh, in the next month before the next um, U- World Cup break. Yeah, one month and it's all decided. So you know, mm-hmm. and then we'll know who's going to go to. Well, we know some of the sides that will go to Russia. Of course, there's playoffs playoffs which will take place in November. Um, Russia actually got an opponent for that once. But they might not be able to play that opponent because Argentina is that opponent on November, in November, right? And if they uh-huh. have to go through the playoffs, that, uh, they might have to resort playing Spartak instead. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as Russia, yeah, like playing another club side. I hope they, yeah, that will be, uh, uh, don't, don't, don't ask. <laughs> well, Vietnam and Iran in uh, October is at least their national teams. Uh, how did the game against Dinamo end anyways? Do we know? Uh, they won three nothing. Okay. Uh, so it, it it was, but like really, um, there's a one big Russian website which maybe one of the most popular Russians websites called Sports.ru where they cover football and, and sports in general. Uh, they had this um, qu- qu- quiz which said, "Who are those people?" And uh, there was pictures of players who are called up to the national team. And I had I follow Russian football a lot. And I had a very hard time really recognizing who those people are who were called up for the national team. I just didn't know the faces. I did well. I think I got like nine out of 10 or something like that. Like I did very well, but some of those, like I just by luck, I, I got the squeeze, but it was very hard for somebody who follows hardly Russian football, let alone just a normal fan who probably had no idea who those people were. Oh, oh. good news is <laughs> there is two confirmed opponents. For next, <laughs> next month, Vietnam and Iran. So we'll get a preview out of that. And Argentina is a maybe depending on what happens in October. But yeah. 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 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wanted to to just for for the listeners, uh, because we're doing the football grad again. The the game against Argentina is um, scheduled to be the opening game for our biggest uh, national team stadium, Luzhniki. Uh, they completely renovated uh, the stadium. It will be the the main stadium for the World Cup, and this will be the opening game. So they try to to get a very good opponent and they managed to get uh, Argentina but obviously given like hopefully they will be able to show up and they don't, wouldn't have to play New Zealand or like Tahiti uh, that time of the year well, Argentina, oh, Argentina might also yeah. lose the last two games okay. and uh, not make the playoffs oh yeah <laughs> that might be the only opportunity Argentina gets to play in Russia in the next couple of years <laughs> so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that but um, Tim we need to talk about Ukraine Final topic for today. Uh, the group is very tough. Croatia, Iceland, Turkey, Ukraine. 16, Croatia on 16 points, Iceland on 16 points, Turkey on 14 points, Ukraine on 14 points. Two games left, four teams, two spots. Um, Ukraine, of course, was good against Turkey. You know, yeah, Andre Yamolenko celebrated his uh, transfer to Dynamo at uh, Borussia Dortmund with by scoring two goals. Uh, See, this is how Borussia Dortmund influenced people. You just sign for the club, you sh- you, sh- you held the shirt, and this is how you improve your performance. Just, just, just magical club. Yeah. Now, how do we explain that what happened to Iceland then? <laughs> 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 um, you know, that's that's that is um, is that typical for the Ukrainian national team? Absolutely. Such a fantastic performance against Turkey at home at the Metalist Stadium, and then. They travel to Iceland and they're in the driver's seat. You know, if they win that game, they go top of the group and then they muck it up. Yeah, that's very that's very common for a Russian team, for for uh, Ukrainian teams. This is probably something that in our mentality that we can pull up, pull up like a crazy, crazy performance uh, when nobody expects us to win, and then we just. Um, fail or like screw it up and next and then we heroically try to fix it up and then we fail again so this is this is like just i think that's something in mentality for example a legendary uh, 99 um way like when russia was in the same group with the ukraine and france and um like we completely, I think we lost three first games and then we heroically, when Romancev took over the team and he put pretty much the whole Spartak team just as a national team and, uh, we heroically won every single game and then in the final game we lost to Ukraine and were eliminated. This is exactly what, you know, this is, uh, this is very common for me following Russian and Ukrainian football for the past uh, 20 years. This is, this is, this is just something that I would be surprised if that happens. Heroical performance and then a failure. So this is exactly what happened over this week, uh, just a wonderful performance against Turkey. They were so great. So many chances, wonderful play. Yeah, there were like some questions about uh, both goals, but it doesn't really matter. They just won 2 nothing, and they were better side. They were amazing. Full stadium, beautiful game, and then they go away to Iceland and do nothing. This is classic Russia or Ukraine. This is in our blood. Yeah, we all remember, of course, what happened ahead of the 2014 World Cup um, with Ukraine. They beat France at home 2-0, right? <laughs> and we're all but assured a spot in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And then they lost in France 3-0. Three straight goals. Uh, just uh, the wheels came off so badly. Um, do we have to worry about Ukraine? Um, I mean... There is, of course, all these questions marks about Ukraine going to Russia because of the, the conflict between the two countries. Um, but Ukrainian football players have been very adamant that they want to go because that's the best way to, you know, uh, point out, uh, point out the problems of the conflict. But do we have to worry about Ukraine? The last games are against Kosovo and then, of course, the big one against Croatia, which will be pretty much a playoff. And going by your mentality, they will probably beat Kosovo. Be in a driver's seat and then lose to Croatia, right? Something like that. Yeah, that, that could possibly and like they will will it like in an epic manner, winning three nothing and then losing three three or like three four in the ninety six minutes, something like that. So yeah, I want Ukraine in Russia because I'm sick of this conflict. I'm like I live in in Canada. Half of my friends are Ukrainian. I love those people. I love I love the culture. To me, I was born in the USSR. Then Ukraine was still part of the country. And for me, like I'm I'm sick of that conflict. I 
like uh, I, d- I don't see any difference between Russians and Ukrainians as people just on the human being level so I'm a big supporter of Ukrainian football I support them in Europe when they play I, I want them to go to Russia so obviously I I want them to come but it's really it's a tough ask Croatia is just a magnificent again looking at the squads all their players play in top top leagues they the Croatia is just like magnificent squad um, obviously not a world cup contender but a very strong side in Europe Iceland has this like again we spoke about golden generations and just their organization they're such a team they can play this ugly uh, defensive football but they somehow get their chance with they they do their crazy throw ins or just like the first goal like how the first um, good Jonsson's goal against uh, Ukraine that was just like a, a fluke a, a luck a weird goal but they got it they want to nothing and you know that what else can you do uh, Turkey as well also a, a, a good side so I don't think it, it's very very hard for for Ukraine of course. Uh, a game against Kosovo will be will be e- easier game, but at the same time, Croatia they would have really. Do you know where they play? Do they play home or away? It's uh, the first game, of course, is in Kosovo, and then against at home at the Olimpijski uh, National Complex uh, Complex at the um, you know the European Championship Final Stadium. Yeah, so that's, that's that will be a game to watch in the last in the last uh, round. 9th of October and uh you know I think I think there is some hope if they beat Kosovo they have a one off right uh that game will basically decide which one of the two will will go um because you know Iceland Turkey or oh, well, they will take points of each other and then Iceland Kosovo on the last one you know you can very well see Iceland topping the group at the end of this or not it could be Turkey yeah. uh, it's, it's it's such a tough one to call but that will be probably the best group to watch on the last two match days. And I'm really curious to see how Yamolenko will get on. He's the, the top scorer in this group with five goals. And uh, he will have, by that point, he will have been playing for Borussia Dortmund for a month. Uh, Champions League as well. So maybe that will be, you know, a good way or a, a positive thing for for Ukraine. Uh, of course, even Konoblanka also plays uh, starting minutes for Schalke 04 right now, right? So uh, that's maybe the positive. So we'll see. Uh, I, uh, yeah, like, uh, first of all, I just, sorry, I, I looked at the results and I called that uh, Good Jonsson goal. Actually, Sigurdsson scored that goal for Iceland. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Sigurdsson, if you're listening. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I made a mistake. But uh, speaking of, like, just it's so, how funny how, like, the two leaders of Ukraine national team, Yermolenka and uh, the, uh, and Kanaplyanka, <laughs> leave how many, how many kilometers? Is it about 50 kilometers away from each other? And play, we will play, like, the derby and they will be, like, uh, playing for the, the big rivals. You can see this one stadium from the other. That's oh, how, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's how close they are. Oh, yeah, that's uh, it, it is true. You'll you'll have both Ukrainian players playing in the war for two of Germany's biggest clubs. Um, I think John McKenzie did uh, a preview for for Schalke uh, Bundesliga preview, and I think they're the is it the fifth biggest club in the world by members, and wow. Borussia Dortmund I think are the third or fourth. By members, so you know, two massive, massive sides in world football in terms of membership. So yeah, uh, I think I think Ukrainian football will benefit from that a lot. You know, having the two best players play in one of the best leagues in Europe is what they, in my opinion, have been lacking, and it's maybe something that you know that they that Russia is missing. Um, you know, Fedor oh. Smolov, for example, didn't go abroad. He's still in Russia. And that is, that is maybe something that Russia is lacking. Ukraine has figured out. Uh, Mano, I know you don't really rate, uh, Dominika Tedesco as a coach of, of uh, Schalke, but, uh, from what, like, from the two match days and a couple of preseason games, which I followed Schalke, he, he, he kind of, he sees Kanoplyanka as a starting player, right? Uh, for the, for Schalke. Well, that's the, pretty much the only thing I think he's getting right. At the moment. <laughs> well, I, you know what? This is probably something for the Gegen Pressing podcast, but my issue is what, what he did. And then we discussed this on the Gegen Pressing podcast quite significantly. Um, selling Benedict Herbert uh, mm-hmm. was a big mistake for me. And I think he's, he's trying to, to break open, uh, hierarchies too quickly there. But I think uh, reestablishing Conor Blanca into that side and playing him major minutes 
is something that he he's definitely um, one thing that he's done right. And I think that's something that Ukrainians can be pretty positive about um, going into those last two matches. So um, quick one, Tim, before we wrap this up. What do you think? Ukraine going to Russia, yes or no? Yes, but mainly because I just hope them. I want them to go. Yeah, I think it's 50-50. You know, yeah. when you look at the table, everything's still to play for, and I'll definitely tune in on those on those uh, final two matches in Group I, um, which is, you know, maybe the only group that is still completely wide open uh, for all, for, for the first top four teams in that group. So fascinating to watch. And this is what we want uh, as, as a neutral football yeah. uh, fans. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely, we'll cover that, um, I guess, in October. After uh, next games are October, around October 5th. Uh, the next week of football and then uh, we'll, we'll know more of who's going to be in Russia and who's not going to be in Russia. But Tim, we need to wrap this up. The two of us, we are going to be in Vancouver uh, this weekend. We're finally actually going to hang out and we're going to uh, cover some Whitecaps action, something completely different, eh? Yeah, I'm very, very excited because I've never covered a, a game uh, for Football Grad, so I'm very, very excited to actually to do that. You will be my uh, my master, my my teacher, and uh, uh, you will show me how to how to how to do that. So I'm very excited for that, and also I'm excited because um, uh, Vancouver Whitecaps playing uh, Real Salt Lake City, and they have a former Spartak player on the squad, Yuri Mavsisyan, who played for Spartak Krasnodar and who is Armenian national. Player, so I'm very excited for that. Yeah, so Mosis is uh, hopefully we'll we'll get a few minutes with him and uh, be able to talk to him. And you know, we'll of course we'll have our minute by minute report on uh, over on Football Zidage uh, for the Football Grad Network. But it's going to be a very busy week for us next week, anyways, because we'll be back in Vancouver on Wednesday against Minnesota because we want to talk to Ipson from uh-huh. Minnesota United, a former Spartak player as well, but. We also have Chris Williams in uh, in England going to two Champions League games and uh, the Europa League game, of course, in London. So busy times over at, uh, at Football Grad. So you know, um, you know, that's basically we're gonna have that all covered on uh, the, the different pages, and uh, you can follow all of that at Football Grad Live. But Tim, we're, we're going to be busy. Yeah, this is exciting. Yeah. Exactly. It's exactly what we want to be. But yeah, uh, Tim, if you don't do football grad stuff, where can people find you? Uh, I also do, as uh, regular listeners know, the punk rock radio show called Rocket from Russia. Check it out. And on Twitter, Russian Tim 61. Uh, this is going to be excited. And I'm really excited for the upcoming MLS uh, game. Yeah, me too. And uh, you can uh, follow me at Manuel Veth. Um, and of course, follow, follow the Football Grad Network at Football Grad Live. But please also rate us on iTunes. Um, we, this show can be found on iTunes, um, under Football Grad Network. So leave a little comment, suggestions, etc. We, we like to hear from you. Well, this is it from us today. Uh, World Cup, Football Grad World Cup, uh, qualification special. Until next week. Dos vidanje. Pellegrino here with a very merry iconic podcast here to tell you about AMC Plus with best Christmas ever on AMC Plus. Every day feels like Christmas morning from new holiday favorites like Elf and one of my personal favorites, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You can spend the holiday season opening up only the good stuff. Plus, you'll get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Want to be sure you always look your best? The Reflections LED Rose Gold Makeup Mirror from Conair makes it easy with all the features you need to groom and apply makeup with precision. Lifetime LED lighting won't ever dim or diminish. No replacement bulbs needed. One-time magnification provides a full view or 10 times magnification for close-up tweezing and details. Designed with a beautiful rose gold finish, the mirror rotates at 360 degrees with a 7.5-inch viewing surface to attend to every feature. Makes a great gift. Go to conair.com for the Reflections LED Rose Gold Makeup mirror now thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.